This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Shouldn't you be at work? Oh, here's Gascoigne. Clean sheet, I call it, is, uh, is one of the most important things in, in football. Nice to see the whole fans booing you. Emil Heskey, could it be five? Paul Bowden to take it. Oh, and he's hit the crossbar. Gerard, it's Carroll. What a goal by the England striker. That's why he was brought in and he's done the job. Saved. John Pickford. England on the brink. Now, you know him better than anybody probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Oh, oh he has to. No. Hello and welcome to Quickly Kevin, Will He Score? We are topical. We're going to focus on Euro 2021. It's actually happening. I'm Chris Gold. Joining me as always, Josh Whittacombe. Hello. And the man who will be watching Euro 2021 from his helicopter circling Wembley, it's Michael Mard. Hello. This episode is the first of our two Euros preview specials, focusing mainly on how it's going to be for England fans. Whether England are going to do well, but more really previous experiences of England in tournaments, stuff like that. Um, Let's put it this way. I think this next hour of your life, this is how every fan will be feeling before the Euros. We have another preview when we'll be coming to Scotland, Wales and the Euros in general. Uh, So don't worry about that. That will be dropping next Friday. And we've got a special guest right in from the top. Matt Ford. Hello. Oh, it's a real pleasure to be here at the top. I love the, uh, here's the electronic post bag. <laughs> well, should we just get straight into it then? I'm Jim Rosenthal, and this is the electronic post bag. You've got mail. So I decided to pick out some electronic post bags uh, that feel correct for what we're doing, which is uh, Euro 2021 
preview special. Great. From James Moore. Subject, unpopular opinion, hyphen, Gaza goal. Uh-oh. The Scottish area. <laughs> <laughs> this is from a Mr. C. Hendry. <laughs> Having watched multiple angles, I've come to the somewhat controversial opinion that Gaza's goal against Scotland isn't that good. (laughs) Hear me out. He did incredible things at that tournament, a lot of them better in terms of skill required than the goal. I think, and watch closely, the flick over Hendry comes off his shin and goes higher than he means it to. Also, I think it's not that hard to pull off. The finish is quite simply scuffed and the keeper should have saved it. I mean... <laughs> I'm quietly confident Josh may agree. Cheers, James. Who wants to start? I think we'll start with Michael. Well, I mean, I've never heard every single syllable of a sentence be wrong before. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's an awful, awful take. Can I just say, I watched the clip the other day and I thought, he does scuff the finish. He does scuff it. He does scuff the finish. He does scuff the finish. He's right there. I think the flick, I think the flick is amazing. I think the finish goes in. So what can you say? But I wouldn't say it's like a great finish. Right. If the flick's not that good, that makes the finish even more incredible because then he's got to correct the plan. And then the finish... He gets it right, because if he hits it with any other part of his leg, then it's not going to go the way it goes, does it? So it's it's perfection. I also think what always gets forgotten, which is interestingly not addressed in that, is context. With great goals, context is so important. He has scored that goal against Scotland in the Euros at Wembley. That counts for so much. If he scores that like 3-1 up, at Lazio in a game that no one cares about, no one remembers. Yeah, who cares? But like, it's so so vital when and where a goal is scored, as well as the goal itself. That's so true. Yeah. Do you know what? As well, we've just we've just saved a penalty as well. And don't forget that goal is late in the game. Seventy nine minutes he scores that. So we, we it was one nil. We were one nil up. Was it that late? Yeah, concede, we concede that penalty. Saved it, and then more or less straight up the other end to score it and wrap the game up. So don't forget how much drama is in that moment too. As if resuming the oldest rivalry in international football was not enough. The context of this mighty clash within the competition of the European Championship Finals. For Neville. Terrific one for McCall. That's Jury. Penalty. England have given the penalty again. Tony Adams. Good Jury. So last Saturday it was Turkey Mats of Switzerland. Now it's Gary McAllister of Scotland. And England celebrates joyously. Elsewhere, 
and Paul Gascoigne will be in the news again, but so too will David Seaman. Terry Venable's team have come up trumps on the big day. Yeah, when you watch that game back, Scotland are in it. It's not a drubbing. It's fairly evenly placed. And he was playing for Rangers at the time, which is even more added context. He was living and playing in Glasgow. Plus, imagine the energy that was going around, considering what Yuri Gallo had been up to 60 seconds <laughs> earlier. You don't clear... You don't, the crystals don't calm down that quickly, do they? <laughs> there still must have been crystal pulses going around Wembley that time. Yeah, if it wasn't for and those was pulses... Yeah, if it wasn't for those pulses, he'd have smashed it in the top corner. The fact that he did it on top of that makes the goal even better. <laughs> Okay, as it's an international thing, we've been discussing players that have played uh, a lot of international games and not played many domestic games. So we had a player, didn't we, who played a third of his career at international level. Yeah. This is from Chris. Um, Chris McKeown. Hi, guys. Love the show and listen every week from sunny Hong Kong. After your recent discussions about international caps, I stumbled across Sadiq El-Fatori. Now... He was not a 90s player, though he was born in 1993. However, his career consists of three club appearances and six international appearances. Oh, wow. How has that happened? Yeah, checks out. Does it? Yeah. Always good to know that Skull's listening with his ears, (laughs) but already on Google, (laughs) double-checking everything that's written. Just to make sure. Six appearances for Libya. He actually played for United. He played one game for Salford City, then played for United for two years. I say played, he didn't play a game. Then Chesterfield, then Tripoli, and he has never played a game since. But in that time, he played six games for the Libyan national team. Crazy. That's got to be a record, hasn't it? I think the international career of anyone who has played for a country led by Colonel Gaddafi has to be slightly called into question. If you're living under the rule of a despot who can like imprison the national team, it actually makes it far more likely that the average Joe could end up representing their team internationally. Didn't Colonel Gaddafi's son play football? I think he played for Perugia in the 90s, Colonel Gaddafi's son. Yeah, and he only played seven games for Chesterfield, but he played 19 games for Perugia. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I think something that will go, to complete the postback, something that I think will go a long way through this tournament and uh, Matt, we'd like, well, uh, have a think on your own. We're disallowing the 1990 and 1996 World Cup semi- and Euro 96 semifinals. But if you could change one result in history, Ooh. which result would you change? Uh, we've had a lot in, and I, I think this one uh, is uh, quite, a, quite a good one. This is from Thomas Shepard. Hello, everyone. Love the show, etc., etc. This question is changing a 90s football result that gives me hours of thinking, but I had a light bulb moment during your Ian Moore Blackburn episode. I'm a Leeds fan, and if I'm honest, I've never got over the sale of Eric Cantona to Manchester United. At the time, I would say I was seven-year-olds, we were champions, and I remember how upset my dad was, and it felt like a death in the family to me. The result I would change from this is Blackburn winning the 1992 playoff final against Leicester. Following Blackburn's promotion, they paid a record transfer fee for Alan Shearer. I'm almost certain that even with Jack Walker's millions, Shearer wouldn't have gone to Blackburn had they not been promoted, and Manchester United would have got that man that summer, especially having just lost the title to us. Having secured the services of Shearer, I'm certain they wouldn't have gone and signed Cantona. My theory is that though Shearer is fantastic and would have scored 25 goals a season, 
He wouldn't have had the effect on Manchester United that Cantona did. The mentality he brought to the so-called class of 92, the way he trained, lived, etc., as stated by Ferguson and Martin Edwards, that helped change the DNA of the whole club. Without Cantona, they may not even have won the first Premiership. A couple more years without a title, Fergie could have been sacked. Having not instilled this mentality, Manu would not have been, gone on to be the force they were. It's up for debate. Shearer could have had a great effect on the club, but when Newcastle emerged in the force of the 90s, he'd have kicked up the fuss, gone there with the love of his hometown club. What do you think, Michael? I mean, it's an interesting one. I don't think you can underestimate Cantona's influence, but I would argue that Alan Shearer does equally as good a job if we had signed him instead of Cantona. I, I think we're still as strong in a different way. I think you'd be splitting hairs there because I think Shearer scores 30-plus goals a season in that United team. Like we, we were a really great side anyway. He was, he was the sort of finishing touches, Cantona. But Shearer was already a beast at a young age. Yeah. He's a, he's a goal scorer, isn't he, Alan Shearer? I don't, I don't think of Eric Cantona as a goal scorer. I mean, he does score goals, but he's not as rampant as Alan yeah. Shearer is. Like, I think that United is scary. The idea of Shearer being in that United team in the early mid nineties. Matt Ford, what game would you change? Well, the two that immediately spring to mind are the England Holland qualifier for yes. the ninety four yes. World Cup, and Kuman gets sent off. Skull strangely chose not that one but an earlier group game against Norway that would have given us the points, meaning we didn't need to beat Holland, which he says is a more exciting way to do it. Holland-Poland that night. like The night we beat San Marino, have Poland beat Holland by three goals, and I think we qualify. Oh, wow. That would have been great. The other one, I think, is England-France in Euro 92. You know the one where Pierce gets headbutted by Basil Bowley and then has that free kick right near the end. It's the underside of the bar, and I'd have that go in. And have us beat France. And then what would have happened? We'd have gone through, and then we'd have just gone out in the series. <laughs> Probably. But, <laughs> you, you know what? Better than what happened. Better than what happened. May not have been the forgotten tournament had that happened. Yeah. May not have been the forgotten tournament. And Pierce, maybe, you know, that would have been his moment of revenge in 1992 rather than having to wait until 1996. Oh, yeah. and, but then 96 would still happen, so then he'd have two amazing moments. Exactly. Um, thank you for all your correspondence. I do get in touch like this. Get in touch with the show. Email hello at quicklykevin.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at quicklykevin and sign up to the mailing list at quicklykevin.com. Now, it's here. It's Euro... Are we calling it Euro 2020 or 2021? Should we, we choose what, a house style? Yeah, what are people d- doing about this? I, I, you can't call it Euro 2020. You can because that's on all the branding. I've got the yeah. sticker book. They've oh, got. They've, they're not going to redo all of the branding and the artwork, so it's whether we're going to supersede that. Do you think anyone's confused? What do you think anyone's thinking? There's two different tournaments. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is, if you call it Euro 2021, it does make it sound like you've got a load of um, fake shit you're trying to flog down the market. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's authentic Euro 2021. Yeah, yeah, yeah. FIFA said they had to reprint it, isn't it? Yeah, that's why it's cheap. If they'd renamed it, the Euro 2020 stuff would have been worth so much, wouldn't it? In years to come. Yes. The ghost tournament. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've written down some things we want to discuss. Today, really, this is the first of our two preview shows. What I really want to discuss are our excitement for the tournament, how we're going to experience it, and what we're looking forward to, how it compares to previous years. And then we will discuss England. 
and we will go on uh, in the next preview show. Don't worry, we'll be discussing Scotland, Wales and all the other teams in the next preview show. So let's start by just asking a simple question. Compared to previous tournaments, how excited, how much anticipation do you have for this? Oh, I have loads. I'm so excited. And I think it's partly because a lot of it's being hosted here, but also because on the back of that World Cup and then the fact that England seemed to have an even better squad than we had when we got to the World Cup semi-finals, it feels like, and I really hope I'm not tempting fate and setting myself up for a fall, it does feel like if we're going to do something, this is going to be it. This feels like the best chance we've had. And we've got games at Wembley. Can I ask you, man? Oh. How often do you say that? <laughs> how, Every two years. Yeah. <laughs> but it really, I think it really is true this time. Unless we improve even more, certainly yeah. it feels like this is the best since 2004, really. Yeah. And you think a lot of it's at home. You go into this with like Kane fit and being the golden boot scorer in the Premier League. You go into it with Foden and Mount and... All these amazing, Grealish. Like, think of the players we didn't have at the World Cup and how great we were then. And I know we rode our luck, but you have to be in a position to do that. And I just feel like it's kind of, feels like it's all come together at the right time. Do you, it, do you feel oh. more excited for this than young Matt felt in 1996? Oh, you know what? I think I'm pretty much the same. I think all the conditions are kind of there. I, 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 as you know, I, I just love England anyway. So I think I'm always... I'm always very excited because I always think, oh, you know what? We've never really had a terrible team. There's always been a Rooney or a Gerrard where you go, yeah, there's well, always been a reason. Sorts of players, yeah, that you could, if it goes our way. And then obviously it's turned out that we've been terrible. But after 2018, you think, we seem to have sorted that problem out now. We play good football. We seem to know how to win games, even late. And now we've got these amazing players. The two English teams in the Champions League final. And it just, it feels like it's all coming together. Chris, is that how you feel? We have to win. I like, oh, yes! Matt, Matt has got me pumped up. I am, I'm exactly the <laughs> same as Matt. Every tournament I go into it thinking, oh, we're going to win it this year. But then you just look at, like Matt says, like we've got two English teams in the Champions League final. English teams are dominating the sport on a European level right now. We've got English players winning the Champions League on a semi-regular basis. And the bookies agree with us. We're second favourites. The, the, yeah, the, the bookies always put England to... But, but I, don't I don't think they I don't, do. I don't want to get boring on this, but the way it works is more people in England bet on England, making our odds shorter. And can I just say, that is one of the thickest things you can do. <laughs> because the odds are shorter than... I remember the day before the 2006 World Cup, going into a bookies, in the days when you used to go into a bookies, oh, yeah. to put some bets on, like, two quid on top scorer, that kind of bet. And I saw a man on, um, on Lavender Hill in Clapham peel out five crisp 20 pound notes to bet on England to win the World Cup. And I thought, you are thick because... <laughs> and that man was Chris Gull. <laughs> <laughs> you're getting bad odds. And also, I can see you're an England fan and you're like, if England win the World Cup, the fact you doubled your 100 quid is worth neither here nor there to, to you. I, Betting on England, there's no point in ever betting on the team you support. I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Why do you want the double jeopardy of lo- you yeah. think you want to happen losing not and losing money? And losing money. Surely but hedge your hedge and bet on the opposite team. So at least if the thing you want to happen doesn't happen, you've got some cash at the end of it. Well, I've, I've talked to Michael before about this. Michael saw me do this. 
I had a bit of a moment during England v Colombia in 2018 when during extra time, in a panic, I've never bet this amount of money before. I put £300 on Colombia. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you'd done that. Yeah, and I'd like the, the country in turn should be thanking me for this sacrifice. Well, d- don't forget as wow. well, you couldn't handle the tension of the penalty shootout, so you just went to a park. You're one of those guys who couldn't look at the penalties. Like, if you were in the centre circle, you'd be turned away. The penalties began. I walked out of the house, <laughs> sat in the park, and I put on my headphones... And I listened to Three Lions, <laughs> a song which reminds me of defeat. <laughs> like, I listened to a song that reminded me of historic defeat. Michael, how are you feeling? Um, oh, by the way, this isn't the section we're meant to be talking about England. <laughs> Just to be clear. I would say... But that's not for you, Michael. No, I mean, I would say, like, I'm really excited. I've sort of slightly checked out of international football for a long time in the sort of from about 2006 onwards as we like Andy Carl yeah. <laughs> like Paul Scholes as well they just yeah they kept taking my opinions and playing them out of position <laughs> I um but I I genuinely think we we're in with a chance and I can't sort of muster the same levels of enthusiasm unsurprisingly as Chris and uh, 4D but I think we do have the quality there in the squad for the first time in a, in a long time. But in terms of like the tournament, I think last the World Cup sort of slightly reignited a love affair with England and the national team in a way that had been lacking for a very long time. And I was so excited about the Euros had they happened last summer because we were going to go to some games. You know, we were going to travel around to different places in Europe and kind of experience it in the stadiums firsthand. So I, I'm slightly mourning the loss of that experience but now we're getting closer and closer to the tournament. I'm like, oh no, I am actually like really, really excited again. And I think, yeah, I genuinely think we are, I'm going to say, it, I think we're in with a chance. <gasps> well, well, we will come to England in a bit. Uh, I just think that the reaction you guys had to Michael saying that was pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, it reminded me of, you know, the audience at an episode of Friends when two characters kiss yeah. and they cheer and you're like, oh, fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> well, this, this actually touches on a feature I want to introduce. Like, like what are the oh, looking for omens? Like Michael talking then, Michael, who doesn't talk up England's chances usually, saying he thinks we're right. in with a chance. That for me is an omen. Like, oh, this could happen. And we were chatting the other day about... What, the Marden omen. <laughs> the, we were chatting the other day about the octopus. Do you remember the octopus in 2006? Oh, the predicted, the octopus, yeah. predicted England win. And we were t- discussing just that pyramid theory in 1998. Remember? The pyramid theory in 1998, which I bought into wholeheartedly. <laughs> Do you remember this, Michael and Fordy? So this was based on what I would describe as a perfect piece of maths. So we go to 1970. No, no, so you go to 1966, the most overrated World Cup in history, okay, which England won. 1970, Brazil. So it goes England, Brazil, Germany, Argentina, Italy is the peak of the pyramid. Yeah. And then back down the other side, it reflects back. Italy, Argentina, Germany, Brazil. Wow. And then it was like, well, the next step in the pyramid in 1998 is England. Yeah. And I remember hearing this and thinking, I, I just don't see how this can't happen. <laughs> like, I, 
people have had a bloke in William Hill is thick as shit, but a bloke who's like thinks that what's he won in 1966 will affect the outcome in 1998 is perfect <laughs> on that. <laughs> as well, I remember in 2002, I think it was the Sun ran a front page and it was all the omens about why we were going to win the World Cup in 2002. And one of them was that there were three. England players who played for West Ham at a World Cup for the first time since 1966. So anyway, we've heard a good omen from Michael there. I'd love you to send in, what are the omens that England are going to win this European Championship? Yeah, all the worst omens you've ever hung on to. Because I really felt like Euro 96 being the 30th anniversary of 1966 and our first tournament at home in England. Even though they're both completely spurious things, I I hung a lot on that. It felt to me inevitable we were going to win that as well. Yeah. Send them in. Hello at quicklykevin.com. Wherever you spot them, more pathetic the better. Omens that we're going to win. Send them in. Miss. Miss. <laughs> Miss. Pizza Hut Pan Pizzas. Unless I'm mistaken. <laughs> Mm. Thank, Thank you, you. Miss. Come on, Gareth. It only took me six years to get over it. Have some pan pizza. Pan pizza from Pizza Hut. A light, fluffy base with a crispy crust smothered with generous toppings. Thanks a lot, boys. I feel much better now. Ooh, this time he's at the post. Pizza Hut pan <laughs> pizza. It always hits the spot. Now, uh, before we get back to our Euros preview episode with Matt Ford, we'd like to let you know about all the exciting content we've got coming up over the next greatest month of your lives. Throughout the Euros, we will be doing uh, three episodes a week. The Monday ones are on our main feed. And the Wednesday and Friday ones are available for XJ8 members of the fan club. That's www.patreon.com forward slash quickly Kevin. There is also uh, watch-alongs. On Sunday, we will be doing our first watch-along, which is uh, if you are thinking you want to watch the final England friendly but worry it might be as boring as England versus Austria, watch it with us. We will be watching it on YouTube, joined by Quickly Kevin favourite Charlie Baker. We can all watch it together. You can pose your questions to us. We'll talk throughout it. If you want to watch that, we'll be putting all the links. We'll be sending them out through the mailing list, sign up for the mailing list, or on our social media on the day. So uh, we do look forward to people joining us for that on Sunday afternoon. Then throughout the Euros for XJ8 members, we will be doing watch-alongs of various games starting on Tuesday uh, when we have France versus Germany. The big one on Tuesday night. France versus Germany. Watch that with us. Is there anything else people need to know, Michael? There is. We've also got the uh, Championship Manager 97-98 Euro 96 tournament where we'll um, we'll be playing against Quickly Kevin fan club members to uh, see who wins that. We've got uh, some great prizes and stuff to give away. Michael's been on eBay. I've spent £1,000 on uh, 90s football goodies that we'll be giving away throughout the tournament. We've also got, excitingly coming up, we've got our own uh, Euros Fantasy Premier League style (sighs) tournament that we'll be announcing in the next preview episode. So anyone that signs up to that will be in with a chance of winning prizes and the winner will get a huge bundle of uh, football goodies. This is going to be one hell of a summer 
As long as England make it out of the group stages. <laughs> it's going to be the summer of your life, as long as England make it out of the group stages. Gareth, we need you to do that, mainly for us, because we have overcommitted. So, genuinely, thank you to anyone who uh, has supported this huge white elephant of an adventure by uh, signing up to the Patreon. Uh, it's genuinely appreciated. We cannot wait for all of this. The Euros is going to be amazing. Let's get more excited. Back to our Euro 2021 preview with Matt Ford. This is a question I want to ask, really, which is because you're all excited. But can, and I know you all loved uh, World Cup 2018, can a modern tournament, when you're an adult, ever be, in the same way, can Christmas ever be as good as it was when you were 12? (laughs) In the same way, Christmas is never as good as it was when you were seven. Can an international tournament ever be as good as it was when you were 13? If England were to win, or Scotland, or Wales, would it be as good as Euro 96? Well, if, if Scotland or Wales win, no, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> What's your view on that? Yeah, Matt, I mean, absolutely. I think the longer you go without having won it, the bigger it becomes. So it just grows over time, because we haven't won anything in our lifetimes. And we've only got to semi-finals. We've never got to a final. I just think it would go absolutely ballistic. And I think you can enjoy it more when you drink. Like, <laughs> ask the people at the Croydon Box Park if they were as happy as they were at seven. Like, they were, they were the happiest they'd ever been. <laughs> it was like, that was way better than anything Santa gave them. But I just think now it just... And equally, it, let's say it happens when we're in our 50s, it would just be the biggest thing. It'd be one of the biggest things that happens in your life. Yeah. Yeah, particularly off the back of uh, the the eighteen months we've just had, I suppose. Yeah, I I would say I still would, I'd still consider Italia ninety and Euro ninety six to be more vivid experiences in my life. Yeah, I agree. I don't think you can replace those moments. It's like bands that you first get into. There's that sort of sweet spot yes. in your formative years where you're sort of still being formed in terms of your kind of tastes and your cultural capital. You know, you will never love a band the way you love Oasis 4D. It doesn't matter if someone yeah. comes along because they were the right band at the right time and the right moment in your life. And like my sort of direct comparison is we got to the semi-finals of a World Cup in 2018 and it was amazing. But that doesn't come anywhere close to the experience of getting to the semi-finals in Italia 90 for me. Like, it's just emotionally the investment isn't there. And I, I was at that game in Russia, and it was brilliant. Like, it was amazing. And had we gone through, it probably would have eclipsed it. And had we won it, obviously it would have. But I do not think about that semi-final at all. I think about Italia 90 probably every single day. <laughs> I'm drinking my coffee from an Italia 90 cup right now. Like... There is nowhere you can look in my office where I'm sat now that you can't see a chow in some form, whether it's a poster or a toy, a dancing chow, like one of those sort of flower pot things. That is giving me anxiety, the thought of being sat in an office surrounded by miniature chows. (laughs) Michael has also taken a tab of LSD, we should say. (laughs) I would just say I would love it if we win these Euros, but I would like there is a when we nearly won it in what was yeah twenty eighteen. There is a bit of me that goes, I wish we'd have won it. This is great, but I wish we'd have won it in ninety six. I think I I believe that every tournament that you live through now is seen through the vision of the ones you lived in as a child. I believe when you're watching twenty eighteen, 
you're thinking, this is what Euro 96 would have been like if I was a grown-up. Yeah. This is what Italia 90 would have been like. Do you know what I mean? I, I think that, I think everything relates to those first experiences. On this, excluding Euro 96 and Italia 90, which we talk about too much. Well, let's, we've, we've come outside of the 90s, okay? Okay. For the first time. And I think it's interesting to discuss those those nineties ones. They defined us, but since two thousand, two thousand and four was Euro two thousand and four was just amazing. You don't you don't know what my question is. Since two thousand, <laughs> oh, no. when was the last time you kissed a girl? Um, <laughs> it's actually before that. Uh, <laughs> no, since two thousand. What are your best and worst international tournaments? Ooh. So you're going to go with two thousand and four? Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, apart from twenty eighteen. Um, 2004, at one point, when we beat Croatia and Rooney was on fire, I thought we were going to win it. I thought we looked yeah. absolutely supreme. And he was just like the player of the tournament at that point. And it felt winnable. And and again, with the Euros, you think, oh, it's a smaller tournament. I actually think 2006 is the worst tournament of all. What? I thought 2010 was terrible, wasn't it? What was 2010? South 2010 Africa was all the waste of everyone's time. Oh, oh, yeah, that God. was rubbish. Yeah. Um, 2012 is absolute dog shit. Yeah. <laughs> When we got to the penalty shootout, England v Italy in 2012, I genuinely thought, I don't mind if we lose here. <laughs> I don't care. I genuinely don't care. Um, 2006 is the least fulfilling tournament because I believed we were going to win it. I actually <sighs> believed we were going to yeah. win it. Uh, not because of a mathematical pyramid that I'd worked. <laughs> <laughs> but genuinely, it felt like it. And it was just rubbish. We were just... Rubbish. Um, the 2010 World Cup. I was, I was actually working on. I was working for Formula One at the time, and uh, and because it was England Germany. What was it? Was that the round of 16 when we played them? And yeah. Mercedes put on a big thing. So they, they had their Mercedes motorhome. I can't remember what Grand Prix it was. I think it might have been like the Canada Grand Prix. And uh, up they said, right, English upstairs and all the Germans downstairs. So so look, all the english engineers and we were invited to the, as the bbc to go stand on the upstairs bit and the germans underneath but what we discovered when the germans scored the first goal was that the german the germans were actually watching it on german telly but their feed was about 10 seconds ahead of our feed upstairs oh no so as we we're watching the the game evolve you could hear them going mad downstairs and then 10 seconds later you'd see england concede another goal <laughs> Oh no! But then you had that bit when Lampard scores, and you're like, they're like, oh no! We're like, oh come on, we, something's about to happen. We scored it, and then you realise he's not going to give it. it was, that was a horrendous oh. day. And then as we were walking out, they gave us all complimentary German shirts. <gasps> yeah, I know. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Did you keep it? I have. Uh, I did keep it. I don't know where it is now. Michael, what are your best and worst tournaments since 2000? I really enjoyed Euro 2000. It's probably too close to the 90s, but I I'm a big fan of when a team wins a World Cup and then wins the next Euros or vice yes. versa. I, I like to see that continuation. And I really That's love that France. such a strange France. thing to be a fan of. I really love that France 98 team. And, yeah. You know, all of those players. I loved Zidane. And I just, yeah, I, I like seeing that sort of continuity. So will you be backing France here? I mean, if we're talking predictions, I think France will win it, yes. About, no, but do you want them to win it because of continuity? Well, I would rather England won it to start a new continuity for the next World Cup. Yeah. Um, but but were England not to win it, then yes, France would be, probably be my second choice, and that would be one of the reasons. All of the rest of the sort of Euros and World Cups, two thousand two onwards, I really struggle to pick out individual moments. It's just sort of eighteen plus years of just consistent disappointment to the point where, like, 
I just I couldn't get excited because every time I did, it wasn't even like a glorious defeat or you know a semi final defeat. It was like, oh, we just limped out of that. Like we wasted, I would say, two cycles of really great players that probably weren't good enough to win a major tournament, or maybe once, but they didn't even punch their weight for close to 20 years. So it really sucked the love out of international football for me until this sort of most recent batch. And, you know, I don't I don't think Gareth Southgate is an elite manager, but a bit like Solskjaer United, I like that he sort of steered the ship in the right direction in the hope that, you know, this new generation of players will eventually, hopefully, win something. Yeah. I think this, the amount of England talk does bring to bearing a question, which is, how do you feel? And it does kind of play into these tournaments. So you enjoyed Euro 2000, Michael, but England went out in the group stages. How yeah. much do you engage once England have gone out? Uh, I still quite heavily. I often enjoy it more once England have gone out because <laughs> there's obviously I don't enjoy the experience of England going out, but once they are out, no one can hurt me then. I can't be hurt. I'm, I'm, I'm invincible. You can't kill me. I'm already dead. So I can just enjoy the spectacle and the football. Yeah. Every match then is is a potential carnival of football. It's not me there going, fucking hell, this is bleak. Because all I care about is the good stuff and the bad stuff's forgotten. I can see that, but I, I don't enjoy the spectacle particularly. It all feels... The bit after England have gone out, I don't know if we said this before, it, it, it's the bit in deal or no deal when they've already taken the money. And then they're still opening the boxes and you're like, yeah. this is fucking pointless now. Does, does that depend when they've gone out for you? Or, or you know, if England go I, out... I'll be honest with you. I half-heartedly watched the World Cup final in 2018. There's a world in which I wouldn't have watched it if I'd had other commitments. Yes. I would, in terms of enjoying the rest of the tournament, I'd rather England went out, didn't get out of the group than went out in the semi-final because oh, the no. final then Bloody the final hell. then is just tinged with such disappointment. Obviously, I'd rather England went as far as possible for the enjoyment of England, but watching that final in Russia was really difficult. In the same way, watching Germany beat the Czechs is like, we would have beaten this fucking team. Like, we yeah. would have beaten them. And that's really, it's like a second bitter pill to swallow. But if they go out in the group stages, I'm like, well, obviously that's horrible. We'll, we'll have the post-mortem about that. But now I'm just going to enjoy this tournament because yeah. every single game, I'm not thinking, oh my God, do I want Denmark or do I want Sweden to win here because we're going to face them next? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, everything yeah. is informed by your team's experience. And Actually. I really enjoy a World Cup outside of England's experience. I wish I could be more like you. I Once we're out, I'm just, it's dead to me. Like, it's like, and it's tormenting. It's like leaving the Christmas tree up too late. You're like, I'm going to have to take this down and it's going to feel sad. And it's just like, this, oh, I was loving this so much. Why is it over? I'm either got to wait ages for it to come around again. Why is life so unfair? And then just, oh no. I just want us to go as far. And you know what I love about it is the further we go, you can feel the sort of centre of gravity building around it. You can feel more and more people start to talk about it. And then the whole country, it snowballs. And it happens every time we start to get to the latter stages. More and more people. And it, it's almost just like this spell takes over everyone. And there is a kind of magic to it. And really, I only do care about England. I'll watch the rest of it as long as we're in it. But the moment we're out, it, it's, it might as well be a different sport. I'm just like, fuck. <laughs> it's funny that you touch on there, Forty. Like, one of my favourite things about international tournaments is when, when England are playing, is when the country comes to a stop. You know, when you just, you can just sense that the country has stopped to watch this game. And like, Do you know when, what I want to hear, Chris? Go on. I want to hear 
that the national grid are worried about the surge of electricity <laughs> from cattle at half-time. That's what I want to hear. That's the moment. The, when, yes. Do you know what? Who the fuck is having a cup of tea at half-time? <laughs> <laughs> like, enough that it's affecting the national grid. Like the last thing you want. And it's always the summer tournament. It was a fucking hot tea. Have a everyone, beer. Every, everyone's straightening their hair at half-time. <laughs> the electricity's going to go through the roof. Yeah, it is. That has got to be the maddest news story you could have. The National Grid's cup of tea worries. Now it'd be like uh, the National Grid are worried that, like, um, the perfect draft home beer kegs are going to all come on. (laughs) Tiny Rebel are going to have a run on some IPA. The nation's fridge doors have opened all at the same time. All the little fridge lights have come on at the same time. Do you think there wasn't that culture then of how people watch football now in the 90s? Because I don't believe there was. I do believe it was it was a tea-led uh, place. <laughs> Euro 96 was, was the tournament of tea uh, before about 2002 lager took over as the national drink of the of the football tournament i don't know i feel like in 96 like that was the like round the loaded magazine lad culture i think the beers is probably maybe we were just, maybe we were just young yeah. maybe we were just young was everyone watching italia 90 having fucking cups of tea <laughs> a half time semi-final of the world cup a cup of tea croydon fan park would have been unbearable if it was tea <laughs> scolding off <laughs> So what were we, what were we saying on that? I can't remember what we were talking I, I about. I just love the country shutting down. I love those big moments. Hopefully we'll get one in this tournament. Yeah. I vividly remember before the game against um, Croatia, walking back, I'd done last leg. I'd been in the office that day. I remember walking back from the tube uh, in Bethnal Green and walking past uh, a pub beer garden and it was full of pensive people it was 4 p.m on a wednesday and it was full of people pensively kind of toying with their cups of tea um <laughs> and it was like the 90s just, yeah no they're toying with their pints and it just felt very um it felt really like a moment like i was just i remember walking along and thinking oh my god i, I can't believe it's today that we're playing in a world cup semi-final and it did feel like something a very different experience. Yeah. Well, 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 that comes to, I just want one word answers on this. What would you take now if I offered it to you? <laughs> what point for England would you take now if I offered it to you? We'll start with, I think 40 is the most interesting. So uh, on this topic. So we'll start with Skull, who I describe as the mean, and then we'll, we'll see Michael and 40. I'm going to say now, if you offered me now semi-final defeat, and you said it was glorious, like a, a close defeat. I would take it. What? But why would you take defeat? I because can't. I, I'm not going to take anything other than a glorious win. So you won't. You wouldn't be happy. So let. So I'm not going to negotiate. I tell you why I would. T- <laughs> <laughs> you not negotiate with terrorists. Yeah. You tell him, Scott. <laughs> why do you hate our way of life, John? Yeah. <laughs> Um, I tell you why I would take it because I still talk about 1990, 1996 and 2018 as three of the best 
experiences of my life, and they were semi-final defeats. Yeah, but so I... if you said to me now that that would be what I was about to experience again, if someone said to me now, would you take a rerun of 2018 now? Of course I would, because I loved it. But you talk about those things because they're they're open wounds. You're counselling yourself, aren't you? You're trying to process the, the the trauma of losing it. I don't want more trauma. I don't want to think about... I still think about that Harry Kane miss against Croatia all yeah. the time. I don't want another one of those. You it's talk a about the pain thing, thing, though, isn't it? It's the joy of defeat. <laughs> I just... No. <laughs> Michael? Well, I guess if I can slightly rephrase the question that makes it easier to answer is like, what's the minimum I would take? Yeah. Because if, if you're asking, what would you take? I'd be like, well, I'll take a, a glorious 10-0 victory against Germany in the final. Yeah, place. yeah. No, what's the minimum? But it's more like, what, what, what would you leave the tournament going, okay, this is a positive thing, yeah. even if we didn't win it. Oh, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I think... I think we have to get to the final. Yes. No. I think, yes, I yes, think yes. anything I think anything less than the final would feel like, you know, we got to the semi-final of the World Cup and yes, as discussed, we were lucky, you know, with our side of the draw and you know, we weren't we weren't a semi-final worthy team, I would argue. But we got there. I think anything other than the final now in a weaker field of teams because it's the Euros not the World Cup, our squad is better. We've got better players, the management and the coaches are more experienced at this level. I think anything less than the final, win or lose, I think it isn't progress. I think we've gone back a step. I'm not looking for progress, Michael. I'm looking for romance and glory. <laughs> but that is romance. Sound like you- Boris Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> imagine, imagine the romance, Josh, of being in the fan park for that semi-final victory and knowing that we've got through to the final of a major tournament. I yeah, think no, I'm not, I'm not saying I don't that. want it. I'm saying I believe that were England to be defeated gloriously by France in the semi-finals of Euro 2020-21, um, then I think we would all, five days on, be happy with how it had gone. I, th- I think I'd enjoy that experience, but at the end of it, I think five days later I'd feel like I'd been served a meal I'd already eaten before. But what a meal, but what a meal. I want, I want to taste something new. Put some new spice on that as a, as a man that bought tie abs and put them in his freezer because he was moving outside of the postcode. (laughs) Um, Okay. Now, what's interesting is, this is the point uh, when we move on to discuss England, which is worrying because we've been discussing them for 49 minutes. Let's start. Do you know what? I've done some research because I thought someone should do some punditry on this. I want to pose a question. At the time recording, England are at their 33-man squad. And... What I'm interested in is players that have been to major tournaments who uh, maybe in hindsight you'd be surprised or don't think should have gone to major tournaments. And I've looked at every England squad since 1990. Amazing. Do you want me to run you through my uh, Hall of Fame of players you wouldn't believe had been to an international tournament? Yeah. Yes, please. Great. Uh, Some nice backing music, please, Michael. 1990? All of them acceptable. 1992, we will come back to that. 1994, not applicable. 1996, all of them acceptable. 1998, all of them acceptable. 2000, all of them acceptable. 2002, 2004, all of them acceptable. 2006, Stuart Downing. (laughs) 2008, not applicable. 2010, Stephen Warnock. What? Whoa. No way. Oh, my there God. Go. That is desperate, isn't it? 2012. John Ruddy. Don't, oh, don't say it. 
and Andy Carroll. Shut up. <laughs> oh, yeah. Did he, he score against Sweden? He did. Yeah. He did. 2014. Ricky Lambert. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Jesus. 2016. Nathaniel Klein. Is that, that feels borderline to me. 2018. I'm going to say it. Fabian Delph. <laughs> Some people love Fabian Delph, don't he? I think statistically he's good. Just to do- and I think time will tell that Ruben Loftus Cheek will be added to the list as well. Imagine a world in which you're not taking Trent, but you had to take Nathaniel Klein to a major tournament. <laughs> just, got, just a few years earlier. In, in right backs over five years. Shall we return to 1992? Yes. I've written down five names for Euro 92 Keith Curl. <gasps> Wow. Andy Sinton. Sinton, yeah. Neil Webb. Mm. Carl, yeah, of course. Carlton Palmer and Tony Daly. <laughs> Tony Daly. <laughs> Considering I couldn't come up with any other names from the nine, up until 2006, that is some tournament squad, isn't it? 1992. <laughs> yeah. How much of that do you think is genuinely sort of poor selection policy by Graham Taylor? Or was it just a really unfortunate kind of end of an era transition where all of those good players have gone and there just weren't enough coming through. Well, Michael, how about, how about, I don't know whether you can be bothered with this, but how about before the next preview show, uh, we have a look to see if there's, who missed out on Euro 1992, to see if there's some great lost players that, that Keith Curl, Andy Sinton, Neil Webb, Carlton Palmer and Tony Daly were preferred to. Okay, I'll take that challenge. Um, <laughs> okay. How do we feel about Gareth Southgate? Skull? I will go first. I I have serious reservations about Gareth Southgate. I don't feel like he's the right man. I still like, and Michael and I are agreed on this. Like we would love to have seen Big Sam carry on the job. And you look at what Brendan Rodgers is doing. I I like him, but, but in my mind, Gareth Southgate is still like a caretaker manager for Middlesbrough with poor results. Like just look at his managerial career before England. I know everyone raves about him. We got to the semi final, but I just don't feel like he's the he's the charismatic man to lead this generation of fantastic footballers to glory. For me, like if, if England aren't going to win this tournament, the next best thing for me is let's just go out in, a, in disastrous terms so that we get rid of Southgate. However, oh, that's astonishing. But, and who would you who would you think they'd bring in? I'd want Brendan Rodgers. I don't think he'd take the job. Well, I know he's Northern Irish, isn't he? But he seems to, I don't know, I just feel like... Yeah, feel it could like go either way, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just think, I just, I want a leader. I want a charismatic leader of the national team. And Gareth Southgate is not that. The man wears a waistcoat. That said, I will be cheering him on. Scully, can I say, I can't believe you like Allardyce as England manager. He would just, he would just grind out results, wouldn't he? He would No. He would do <laughs> He's got a hundred percent record for D. <laughs> you know what? I can't believe and, and I think I'm unusual. I really like Southgate. Yeah, I like Southgate. I like I him. like I his approach. Good. What do you like about his track record with England? Well, firstly, he's got us playing football again. I mean, that is what the that first mean? time we've playing actually nice played football. played really good football at that World Cup. And you're like, well, finally we look like a, a team that hosts the Premier League. Like it's actually had yeah. some benefit. I think I like his approach. I like the fact he's methodical. I think international management is different to club management. I think it's a different set of skills. I think he knows how to manage these individuals. And I think so much of it is just putting them at ease. That penalty shootout against Colombia was incredible for the psychology of it. And that cutaway of him 
He looked completely composed, Southgate. And I think yeah. he's had a huge effect on them. I think he's I totally agree. lifted whatever spell was over the England unit that was that pressure and that was that negativity. And I think he's just calmly, methodically removed it. And I think he has a really logical approach. He's not sensational. He's not flair. But he reassures me. And I think actually modern football, young footballers who play for him will find that hugely motivating. I just think yeah. he's onto something. I really think he what? is. This, I feel very, very excited hearing all that because I totally agree. I think he's strong as well. I don't think he... Um, he doesn't even feel like he makes gaffes or he feels like, you know, he's all over the shop. There's totally nothing agree. where he's trying to play Wayne Rooney in midfield in the yeah. last friendly before the tournament. It he feels like he knows yeah. what he's doing. Do you know what I mean? Whereas it feels like always previously, it felt... It, Roy Hodgson, suddenly Harry Kane was taking corners and Wayne Rooney was playing in midfield. <laughs> and you were like, what is the grand plan here? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Whereas with Southgate, it does feel like he's using the three months between every game to genuinely decide what matters and what's going on. Yeah. He seems completely rational. Michael? I, I think I'm somewhere between the two. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm also an advocate for Big Sam, but but oh back then, God. not now. I wouldn't want I wouldn't We're want to be now. losing I, patrons hand over fist, mate. <laughs> I, all, I, all I'm saying is, all I'm saying is, Big Sam beats that Croatia team. That's all I'm saying. We're in, this, we're in the final of the World Cup in 2018. No, we're not. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. But... <laughs> That's by and by. I think with Southgate, I agree with everything that Josh and Forty have said. Southgate is like the lovely, nice primary school teacher rebound after a really toxic three, four decade long relationship. But I don't think Southgate's making you a better man. I don't. Th- I don't <laughs> think Southgate is, is winning a tournament <laughs> with this team. So I'm glad we've had him. I'm glad he's helped shift the mentality the way it needs to be. And I love that he's steadied the ship. And I think we will see the benefits of that. But I think. We need someone else to come in now and just take us to that extra place. We need a winner. Like Southgate isn't a winner at club level as a player or as a manager. I don't think he has the experience. And I don't think at elite level when it's fine margins, I don't think he has it in his locker. I watched Luka Modric basically deflate our entire England team and Southgate stood on the sidelines and did nothing. He watched us bleed out. <laughs> he could have made a fucking tactical change. I don't. He I don't. I, he he's like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, lovely man. Yeah, like, loves England. He's done a great job at like addressing problems and the toxicity that existed at club and for England international level. But I don't think he's got it there to take us to the next level. He, he, I just. Still, I just don't. He feels like a caretaker, doesn't he? He doesn't feel like he's got the yeah. job. There is nothing on his CV that says England will win a tournament with him at the helm. Yeah, but he, well, they might be. We've not seen his CV. That's, surely he'd have put that on. <laughs> but don't you think we've got elite players? Ultimately, yeah. you've got Kane and Foden, Grealish. You've got these incredible creative talents that actually, whatever Southgate's shortcomings could be overcome by the talent we have on the pitch. That's where we would have to disagree because I think you need everything to converge at the right time. And also mm. on top of all of that, you know, Pep Guardiola in charge of that England team might not win it. You need luck you need things to fall your way and I think even if all of the things that should do fall our way I don't think Southgate is the man from the managerial perspective to help nudge it as well I just think he will always be found out and I think we'll see it again what a sad ending (laughs) let's end by asking a simple question I feel like I've just been in a press conference with Rob (laughs) Shepard come on Rob can't have faces like yours cheer up come on Rob (laughs) 
<laughs> no, I'm just worried about where we're going. Um, will England win a major tournament in our lifetime? Yeah. Joe, I, I, <laughs> no. I, I actually do see a lot of parallels between where we are now and where Spain were just before they went on that run of winning. You know, we just see, you yeah. can just see that generation of talent emerging and it's actually, they're doing it at club level. All those players, like they had that fantastic generation at Barcelona and they were going into the national team and it was translating there. You think the backbone of this England squad is, is, is working with people like Guardiola and Klopp and they're at the very, very top of their game, winning trophies regularly on the continent. So these are, it's different now. And I think, you know, look at also the kids that I think the, we've won the under 18 World Cup. Basically, as Foden went through the ranks, he was winning World Cups yes. in the England youth team. It's like, it's happening. This generation is coming on now and it feels like everything is set up for success so much better than it's ever been before. So I'm more hopeful than I've ever been that England are going to win a trophy. I think, and we could be about to witness it right here. I reckon you could cut that piece of audio out and end with saying, and Sven Goran Eriksson's the man to do it. And that is exactly <laughs> what we were all saying in 2006. Yeah, it's exactly what everyone was saying oh, in 2006. It really is. And I, I'd like to start um, with the uh, omens, uh, with the omen list that you wanted to make, Skull. I'd say Phil Foden winning the Under-17s World Cup has to be up there with the most pointless omens of all time. <laughs> As well as, it feels a bit like when it happened to Spain. That's another one. <laughs> Michael, where will we finish? And uh, will we ever win a World Cup or Euros? I don't think we will win a major tournament in my lifetime. I think we will lose in the semifinals, but I, I want us to lose in the final. I don't want us to lose in the final. My dream <laughs> would be... to lose in the final. My, my dream would be that we get to the final. I think we will lose in the semifinals. Matt, have you put 100 quid on at William Hill? No, not yet. I think we will win a major tournament in my lifetime because I know 66 was before any of us were born, but it has been done before. We do host the best domestic league in the world. The England national setup now, for the first time, in probably more than a generation, is finally heading in the right direction. We are producing an incredible amount of talent. And I think whether it's Southgate or whether it's whoever follows next, we're on a different trajectory now. And we just have... I cannot! go through life believing that we're never going to win anything. I just, I can't carry that. I have to believe. So yes, yes, yes. Okay, <laughs> good. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure. I can't wait to uh, follow the tournament with you all. Um, it's going to be a, um, hopefully, one of the great summers of our lives. Yes. I can't wait. That Croatia game is big, isn't it? That first one. That's a big game for the first one. It's kind of crept up on me a bit. But I was thinking today, that is big. That really going to put a marker down for the tournament. But don't forget, we beat them at Wembley in the Nations League the year after the World Cup. That's an omen right Glor- there. Glorified friendly. But yes, we'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think we'll beat Croatia in the first game? Yes. Yeah, I'm going to say yes. I think we will. We always start tournaments slow, don't we? Like you think of... Uh, the parallels of Euro 96, that draw against Switzerland, I think we could be heading for a, a nil-nil one-all. But we will get better. What? The parallels to Euro 96, if we're looking for omens, we're playing Scotland in the second game. Yeah. I think Wembley with fans after all this, and then we get to have our group games at Wembley with fans back in. I think you can't take that out of it. The home advantage, the feeling in the country, all that stuff is Do you real. know what also, because it's a Sunday afternoon, isn't it? It's 2 p.m., is, is it going to be a sunny day? It's the first weekend. It's going to look very similar. 
red and white against England. He's gonna it's gonna have striking similarities to that first game against Switzerland, isn't it? In look. Oh, would you take one all now? Yes. <laughs> would you? Yeah, just so we don't lose the first game. Yeah, well that is a bleak end. And if you draw with Croatia, like we drew with Croatia, they were in the World Cup final. Well, just before we wrap up, we've discussed Gareth Southgate there. Obviously, Gareth Southgate was the man who destroyed Euro 96, so he has got the opportunity here to redeem himself or indeed make things worse. I thought it was Darren Anderton. <laughs> he should have scored. Uh, so we're going to introduce a new feature called the Gareth Southgate Atonometer. Do send us your thoughts on where he is on the Atonometer. Has he done enough to be forgiven? Where does he for start? Because 2018 must have taken him to quite a point of atonement, hasn't it? I don't think it's enough. I still think <laughs> I still think he should he should be damned. <laughs> but I'm willing I'm willing to have, I'm I'm glad he's got this opportunity. He's got one more chance for me. If he ruins three tournaments, forget it. <laughs> that is Come unforgivably on. harsh. Uh Matt, uh we hope to see you later in the tournament. Yes, always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm genuinely so excited for the Euros now. Thank you very much. If you want to do the Patreon, it's patreon.com forward slash quickly Kevin. Otherwise, you know, follow us on Instagram, follow us on Twitter, all that kind of stuff. Robbie Slater, see you later. Go let! Hit let! Hit let over the top! This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8am. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like Ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.